Okay, so you finished part one of my interview with Kenrick. Here's part two. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, and they tell their stories, whether it's the struggles, the joys, falling in love, raising a family, managing a business in another country, and maybe still searching for that place they will one day call home. This is a place where you can listen, the guest and host will share, and maybe we'll all learn from these stories that we're all connected in what home means to each of us. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. You're on this path to living abroad. I mean, so like, what what was the first thing that made you say, mm, this is the right path? I've been planning this forever now. And um, I had uh, my girlfriend at the time. Um, she was very, very supportive of me traveling. She was supportive of me um, living my dream. And then she had passed away in October. Um, she had breast cancer before, and we dealt with it. We had went through all the treatments, and we thought that everything was over. And um, the breast cancer had came back into her brain, and she had passed away in October. And shortly after that, I had left um, to begin this journey. I went to Carousel to just sit for a while to kind of process everything, and and then just kind of made way through Central America, and. It was, you know, going through Central America um, and even coming here, I did. I, I questioned whether, you know, being away from family was the right thing, being um, away from friends, uh, just being out here was the right things. Uh, because, you know, once you get out here, you, you get complacent and, you know, your mind just start working against you and you start questioning. And what made me realize that I was on the right path was when I came back to America and I just saw all of the things that uh, was going on and you could just see and feel the pain in the conversations. Because even though you're having conversations with people around here, um, and like, there, of course, nobody's 100% happy. Nobody's like, this is the, you know, greatest thing in the world. I, I don't think I've met one person besides myself. I think that this is the greatest thing in the world. Um, but everybody always acknowledges the challenges and everything that they face, but it's different. Like, you can feel the, everybody's energy here. And the people in me that I traveled to, I mean, traveled from, and versus American energy. Mm-hmm. And it, it is different. It is sad. Like, I really, really felt sad just being back in America. And not necessarily from just, you know, anything that was going on. It was just everybody's energy. That it just you, you it, I I don't know if you believe in transfer of energy 
or if the people around me believe that, um, it, 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 it was like that energy which just laid in on me and I can feel everybody's sadness. And, and then it was just like, okay. And, and then from there, like, there was a lot of conversations. A lot of people started reaching out to me and just saying, you know, they feel hopeful with what I'm doing. You know, now they're starting to travel more. Uh, people that I met that are starting to travel more just because they see that I'm traveling and everything like that. And then, uh, my friend who drove eight hours through traffic to come and sit and talk with me. Um, you know, that was an amazing experience and it, it just made me realize it was like, hey, you're on, you're on the right path. Like people need to see that there are other options. People need to see that there's joy out there. Like, you know, the way that I'm living versus the way that they're living, the, the only difference is the decision. It's one decision. Like, I'm not doing anything different or amazing or anything extraordinary. I just made one decision and I stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really the difference between me and my happiness. And I wrote in my book, like, sometimes it's not you, sometimes it's the location. You know, you change your location and you change your happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. it's really just as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. If a location doesn't work for you, mm-hmm. that is not fulfilling your needs. Mm-hmm. That is the good thing about the society that we live in today. That is the good thing about the connectivity um, on the internet. And if you just have an adventurous spirit, then like I, I have met couples who have been traveling for like seventeen years. Seventeen, mm-hmm. and I think the most has been like twenty some years. And what they do is literally they make jewelry, and they sell that jewelry everywhere they go. And they've been doing that for like twenty something years. And I just thought that that was just amazing because. Here you are just traveling. You're going through life off of what you can actually do. And, you know, you're just living your life. So it just becomes how much money, because I always ask my friends this. I'm like, well, how much money do you need? And mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that question is different for everybody. Yeah. Because some people like a life of luxury. And mm-hmm. stuff, so you're gonna need more money mm-hmm. than if you are, um, if you're just gonna go for a simple life. But then a life of luxury can be a thousand dollars a month if you're in the right country. I'm a, I'm a pretty frugal guy, so mm-hmm. I spend my money on experiences. Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna spend money, it's gonna be on a very, very good experience. Um, but, and I don't buy as many things anymore, uh, as I used to. And, but it, it, but again, it just all the, I don't want to say what is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. 
um, when I very in 2018 when I first started traveling, um, I was I mean traveling full time. Like right now, um, when I go to Colombia next month or this month, that'll be my 50th country that I visited. So when I said, "Hey, I'm gonna give this traveling full time thing out." I started out doing all the Western stuff, the, you know, staying in these nice hotels, doing all this other wonderful stuff. And um, it was it was taxing. It was taxing on me uh, physically, emotionally. It was taxing on my finances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was taxing on everything. And now, I and that, that's why I've chosen to live in different countries and do regional travel. Because I can go to a place for 30, 40, 50 bucks, 70 bucks, you know, and have a good experience versus, um, you know, traveling, long haul traveling, where you're paying a thousand, two thousand dollars for the flights and all this other stuff. Um, regional travel has been the way they're able to sustain it without, you know, breaking the bank on whatever you do because it's easier. And then, two, like if here, if I'm paying, um, for, you know, $400 a month for, uh, a, a, an apartment, you know, even if I don't do nothing, it's still great because I'm here on the mm-hmm. beach, mm-hmm. enjoying the beach every day. You know, so, you know, I've created a lifestyle based off of my need. And, you know, everybody has a different need. Everybody has different want. Everybody has a different, like, what do they want to experience uh, out of this journey? And, like, that, those are the questions I think that the people who's listening should ask themselves. What do you want to really experience? And then from there, you can establish a budget. From there, you can establish how much money you need based off of what you want to experience. Okay, so Airbnb is a great way to make friends. Um, I've stayed at Airbnbs, um, you know, and met the host and, you know, kept in touch. So, like, what, what other ways do you suggest for people to make friends? Things, things that maybe have helped you or things you've thought about but you haven't done yet? So... I have, I've done the Airbnbs. I think that those are good, good ways. I think that hostels are good ways. Now, as a, a older gentleman, being about to turn 45, mm-hmm. you know, hostels was not my first choice. Party city. However, I have learned that Actually, it's a great way to meet people because I have had some experiences and done some things that I would never have even thought of. I've gone to places that I was like, I didn't even know on the map, but they knew it. And I was just like, okay, why not? I'm just going to go. So hostels are good. Hotels, I think, are good. I think they're a little bit overpriced. I still use them because there's something 
about that consistency of certain hotels that, you know, you're looking for quality, you want a particular experience, and you're like, okay, hey, I want this experience, so I'm going to pay the extra money for it. Um, the one thing that I haven't tried that I'm looking for the time I will, will try at least once or twice is couch surfing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I haven't tried that either. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't tried it out either. I, I want to try it because what everybody has told me about couch surfing is that um, it's very a local experience. You get a room, and but it's the local person that is um, showing you around. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll they will plan stuff for you to do while you're there. Oh, just okay. so that they can Yeah, that's what I said too. Um so it's a little bit more of an intimate setting than anything else. Cause whenever I do Airbnb, um I'll do an an apartment or something like that. So I'm still by myself in that experience. But this experience, they're showing, like, they will literally show you around. They'll cook for you. They'll do all of these things for you. And, and which is interesting to me because, like, if you're going to cook for me, that's great because I want to know more about the local cu- cuisines because I like to eat something and then go back and make it myself, mm-hmm. you know. I like that particular experience. Um, and then, too, if you're willing to cook for me, you're showing me love. Regardless of how good or bad it is, <laughs> you're still showing me love. But I haven't I haven't fully committed to couch surfing yet. I'm going to do it. I will do it. I haven't fully committed to it because it is a new experience. And... I need to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, other than that, that's my way. And then the apartment thing. So that that's my other thing is, you know, getting an apartment because you get an apartment and staying for a month is cheaper than you you getting, you know, you, you staying a week at a resort or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, just an example, recent experience. Um, and I tell people, I was like, I paid just for the nine days that I was back in America, just for the hotel alone. Mm-hmm. That's not even us doing anything. That's not us <laughs> experiencing life there. Just the hotel alone. I paid for my mortgage, I mean, my rent here. My electricity and a half a month of food. Mm-mm-mm. Just all the nine days that I was there. Oh my goodness. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, like, long term travel, um, I, I, I try to explain to people, like, I really had to think differently. I had okay. to think differently about you know, what I considered a vacation and what I considered travel. 
You know, like those those to me are two different things. Like a vacation, you're you're expected to spend two, three, maybe four times the amount that you're gonna spend. Let's take a quick break. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you share, subscribe, download, rate, review the podcast, and join our community via Facebook and Instagram by typing in Are We Home Yet Podcast and Twitter by typing in Are We Home Yet Pod, where we share resources, you can interact with our guests, and you have a chance to tell your story as a former, current, or future expat. And of course, be a part of our community. The social media links are also at the bottom of the page on the arewehomeyetpodcast.com website as well. Okay, now back to the show. If you travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you got the... And I, and I, and I get it that people, no, I'm going to say Americans don't have the time to travel like mm-hmm. they're supposed to because the system is not set up that way. But in other countries, they travel like this all the time. Yes. Taking 30 days, six yes. months, they, they're taking like time off to travel. Yeah. When you're talking about vacation, time off, travel, um, mental health stuff, like, it's not the same. Like you can't even compare it. And and, I, and I'm like, I'm telling my friends, and I'm like, you're you're fighting. Well, I mean, most of my friends now are at the executive level, so they're getting at least thirty days off, but. They're getting 30 days off, but then they're working seven days a week. They're working hours. They're, they're, they're putting in work only to get 30 days off. And I'm just like, dude, life is way better, way better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned these two words, mental health. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, you know, and, and, Many of my friends who live abroad, they have said the same thing too. They feel more, 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 more at ease, more comfortable, more content. Um, so, so then let me ask you like about your mental well-being, if you don't mind talking about that. Like, did you notice a difference from America to abroad in terms of your mental health? So great question. I am happy to actually answer this question. So before. <laughs> No, I, I'm serious. Like, Gosh, you're a great guest. <laughs> you're so open to answer everything. <laughs> no, no. No, because I want people to know. I want people to know, like, I'm out here, like, I'm putting in the work. Like, this is not just, I'm not making stuff up. Like, this is honestly my life. This is the way that I'm living. This is, it's it. The raw version of it. And I was like, I, I suffered from PTSD, um, growing up, not growing up. Well, yeah, shit. Growing up in America. Yeah, that's PTSD by itself. Um, but I, I was, I am a, um, 
Iraq war veteran. So I've seen war. I've, I've had time to process the atrocities that just kind of happened. And I was on like deep medication. They really, really, I mean, I still have the medication here and I, I brought it with me. I haven't taken it since I've left, but I brought it with me and it was, it was really just processing everything. It took some time to do with the death of my girlfriend, all the stuff that I was already dealing with before that. It took me some time to just process it where I can just be happy, mm-hmm. period. And it was, it was letting go of a lot of stuff. It was letting go a lot of trauma uh, from both the military, from the living in America, just a day-to-day stuff. And to the point where, you know, I don't concern myself about those things anymore because I'm just in a better place. Mm-hmm. I'm in a better place where I'm not worried about crowds. I'm not worried about being in a crowded place because I'm not worried about like in America where there could be a mass shooter. Or in Iraq, where there could be a, a suicide bomb. I'm not worried about those because that's the norm. That's not the people. That's not the culture. That's not what's going on around you. And I think the challenge from coming back from war, coming back to America, the challenge was that it felt the same. It really felt the same on the heightened anxiety, the heightened awareness, the fact that you needed to be super sensitive to everything that was going on around you. And now my life is, I don't have to be heightened, that heightened awareness. And um, there's a, a, a study that's out by this university there in um, in Australia called the Peace Index, and it outlines off a measurable way, you know, violence, education, food security. There's a whole bunch of different factors. Things like 27 different factors that they look at around the world on the safest countries to live. America was the last time I looked, America was 127. So exactly. So out of 206 countries in the world, 206 countries and territories in the world, in the 193 recognized UN countries, mm-hmm. America was 127. So that well, means you know that there's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, what's interesting is that, um, you know, and, and I haven't mentioned this before, but, you know, th- this actually is a good moment to, to mention this. Um, so when I was a teenager in America, and it's interesting because, you know, lots of expats here have told me, oh, you're from America. Oh, my God, I never want to go there because I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get shot. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
And, you know, honestly, I, I really, and I really never thought about what America was like that bad. Honestly, I really thought America was a great place. But, you know, let me just say this. And, and I guess maybe like sometimes like we put trauma out of our head as being like that bad or that significant. When I was, when I just right before I was about to turn 13, okay, so, or no, I had just turned 13. No, I just turned 13. It was a hurricane, Hurricane Andrew, uh, decimated South Florida, okay? We were in Panama at the time visiting my family, our, our family, my mom's family, my dad's family. My, my dad died when I was little, so my dad's family, which I visited every single year, um, and, uh, you know, we, we came back to Miami just to see, like, okay, do we still have a home? Um, and we had to, like, relocate from, you know, South Florida up to, like, North Florida because, like, it was just really difficult, you know, in terms of, like, electricity was out everywhere, you know. You know, and my mom was, was an ER nurse, so, you know, if she did get called in, like, at the last moment, she, you know, it would be very difficult for her to make sure that, like, I had what I needed at home to be able to sustain myself. So we relocated to North Miami where, you know, things were, were okay there. So, you know, we rented an apartment there. Electricity was fine. Everything was fine. Plus it was close to her work. So anyway, so, so she had come home from working at night and had gone upstairs to sleep. And I was waiting for the school bus, you know, like I normally do, not a big deal. And I was standing behind a fence and it was like a duplex apartment behind a fence and you know this is this is sometimes my problem later on in my in life my mom would say that i'm naive even as an adult she still says that because you know this guy got out of the passenger side of a car and walked up to the fence opened up the gate and i'm smiling and i smile and i say hello and i i still do this as an adult believe it or not and so he comes pulls out a knife puts it to my throat and in spanish says la cartera which means your purse your purse and starts pulling on my purse and i start screaming and you know as a cop i always tell people like don't struggle don't scream don't fight give up whatever it is you know you can replace it so you know <laughs> the fact that i did that you know tell me that you know obviously that that was just instinct that wasn't logic <laughs> um and uh you know it it you know and eventually it came off you know not without not without him not trying, but eventually the purse came off and he ran back to the passenger side and, you know, they drove off. And my mom comes downstairs. She's like, what happened? What happened? And so I'm trying to talk and, and eventually, you know, told her and she's walking down the street trying to look for this car because, you know, <laughs> oh my goodness, my mom's so brave. And that's where I get it from. Uh, but, you know, obviously, and thankfully she didn't see the car. So anyway, we went to the Miami police department and this uh, black female detective, she uh, took the case and helped me. And, you know, we talked about it. We looked through, you know, lots of books of uh, people. I think it was two books, maybe, of, um, you know, people who fit the description. And, you know, so anyway, with that story, the whole point is that um, that was obviously a traumatic experience. But for me to tell people like, oh, no, no, America's not that bad. It really makes me realize, like, I clearly must have put it out of my mind, but, you know, that is crime. And I was a victim of crime. I mean, thankfully, I wasn't hurt in any way. But, yeah, I was a victim of crime. And, you know, yeah, you know, it, it clearly could have gone much worse. I mean, this man had a knife to my throat. Um, 
And, you know, obviously there was a car with an open door. It was running. You know what I mean? I, I could have been pushed and like dragged. Like anything could have happened. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I really hadn't thought about that until having a conversation with an expat here. And, you know, I thought about that experience and realized I had pushed that out of my mind, really. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it is it, it can be really, really scary. Um, and, yeah, there's no moment here, honestly, that I have felt fear like that and there have been numerous times where i've come home from hanging out with friends and and i'm not i'm not a, a drinker not really a drinker so it's not like i like well i was walking home drunk or anything but you know it's been two o'clock in the morning and you know i had all my faculties you know i wasn't drunk so you know if something happened i'm sure i could have like been aware of like you know how to defend myself or like where I exactly I was to report it to the police or something. But I have never, never honestly felt fear like that here. Um, you know, meeting strangers, you know, um, you know, like say like going on a date or something like that, you know, um, I, I've, I've never been worried that someone would harm me. Um, but it's just really interesting that the place that I called home for a long, long time, is the place where, yeah, I have felt fear. I have been victimized. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and strangely enough, like I ended up becoming a police officer because of that experience. The black female detective immediately, I wanted to be just like her. I mean, yeah. And initially I wanted to be like my mom and work in the hospital and, and, and be, be an ER doctor actually. But honestly, the moment I met her, it was imprinted on me. Like, I, I want to do this. I want, I want to help people. I want to save people. I want to rescue people from crime. Um, and uh, yeah, and I mean, the amount of crime that I've seen has just been like staggering, staggering. And, and I just, you know, have constantly wondered, like, you know, I mean, like, is, is there no end? Is, is there no end to this? Yeah. So I... And we get too deep in philosophical things, but I think that, um, no, I honestly, I think that America is just bearing the fruit that is for. I mean, if you look at our history and look at how we started, we're only, I mean, you can't plant a, a watermelon seed and then expect to get apples. Like, we've planted such deep roots in America of just violence. And we've never, the issue is, is that we've never acknowledged it or been able to willingly address it. But from the birth of America, it was birthed out of violence and destruction. So right now we're only living through the fruits of our labor. Like that's, if you really want to take a clear-eyed view of it. And I think that that's where I struggle with, because even with my youngest son, he just entered into the military. And we come from a military family. So a lot of people from my family were from the military. I was in the military. My ex-wife is still in the military. And... Yeah, it, it's 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 that 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 struggle with you know, hey, I'm a part of the system. I've taught my kids to be a part of the system, and before my son was 
uh, went into the military, I had said to him, I was like, okay, if you don't want to go into the military, you can come and travel with your dad. You don't have to worry about nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I, I, I even realized that that statement was uh, far-fetched because I had already indoctrinated him. I had already put it down about the military and everything like that. And, you know, he was just comfortable with it. So, you know, because I changed, did not mean that all the stuff that I had already put in him was going to change overnight. How do you make someplace feel like a home? You know, you've been living there for a while, a little while now. But how do you make some place feel homey, like a home? Oh, for me, it's the people. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's finding habits that I like. Um, so I'm going to start with the people and then I'm going to go into finding habits that I like. Okay. Um, when I say the people, it's just meeting people that you just connect with that share the same interests, share the same philosophies, share the same values that you do. And the more you focus, to me, the more you focus on those things, that's where you realize that we're all the same. We're all the same. We all want the same things in life, that we're no different um, based off of where we are color our skin or the language that we speak. And then it's about, for me, the second part is just finding things that make me happy, that connect me with everybody else. And so for me, it's cooking. And um, everywhere that I have been, I found a community of people that I was willing to cook for. And so, you know, just cooking and sharing the things that I have learned on my travels. So some of the things that I cook are things that I've learned as I've traveled. And then some of the things that I cook are just things that I have been cooking since I was a little kid. I had to ask my mom, like, how long have I been cooking? And she, her response was, as long as you've been able to reach the stove. <laughs> and so, like, that that for me is why whenever I'm cooking for people, it's just something special because, you know, I've been just doing it. I'm not getting paid with, you know, I'm not a professional chef or anything like that. It's just something that I love to do, that I've eaten in so many different countries. I've eaten just everywhere. And I I just love to recreate those experiences. And so for me, whenever I'm going places and I'm, you know, establishing myself, that's like the first place that I start is 
do I like you enough to invite you over? <laughs> and <laughs> like, and yeah, when I invite you over, then like you know you're gonna get an experience. The the um the one of the the last meals with the um the um with with the fish. Um, I cooked just that appetizer that you saw. Mm-hmm. And that was some very uh, thinly sliced plantains. And then I made this little mixture that I uh, soaked the fish in. And then I put this avocado and mango mix on top of it. And then I served it some wine and stuff like that that I found that they had and we just had like a wine tasting because I didn't know what wine goes well with it so I bought like four different wines and we all tasted it and we decided which one was actually the best for that particular meal Um, the other meal in the picture was created by one of the locals here that's been on the island, her name is Frances, and she made that whole meal. And it took her the, the, the same amount of time that it took her to create that meal was the same amount of time it took me to create those small little dishes that I made. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was just the love, the taste, and you know, an experience that I was looking for mm-hmm. whenever when that dish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. So, as an American, like you know, what you know, we have a pretty good passport. So, but what was your process like for a visa and to the country? You know, to to remain in the country. So, for here, you don't um, require a visa mm-hmm. if you're vaccinated then you can just enter into the country with no okay. issues or worry. Um, there are countries, like I, I, I want to go to Colombia because they have a university there. They have a Spanish program there that is supposed to be great. So I want to go to there, uh, to Colombia, I mean, excuse me, Cuba. Mm-hmm. I want to go to Cuba to go to that university, University mm-hmm. of Havana, and learn Spanish there. Because I still think that language is important. Mm-hmm. I, I have to learn the language. I'm I'm muddling through. I'm grateful for all the 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 the, the compassion that people have shown me that I don't speak the language, but I really, really want to learn the language. So I want to go there. Um, just to give people an, uh, uh, an idea on the visa requirement. I've been to Cuba before. This was, uh, under the Obama administration when they just kind of made it easy for you to go get a visa and everything like that. Um, just recently the Biden administration lifted, um, some flight requirements and some other requirements, though so I'm hoping that this, and then the fact that I'm a student, that's the reason why I chose to go to the university there as a student, then you, 
get a visa and everything um, to go there. Um, but locally, um, it here in Honduras, that's not an issue. But for anybody that is looking to um, go to different countries, like Ghana requires a visa. Um, there's other special visas that you can get if you own a business. So since I own my own business, so I, I'm going to look towards that to get um, a longer stay. Um, citizenship versus residency, depending on which country you're talking about. You, like Some people allow you to dual citizenship. Some people you have to give up your citizenship. Some countries, it doesn't even matter. You can just apply residency. And that, those are the, that, that's what I would ask or, or have people to seek is if they're looking at a country and you want to stay for a long time, just go for residency. If you're not sure about it, if you want to, um, apply for dual citizenship or give up your citizenship. You can apply for residency and live in a country um, just as if you was a citizen and not give up any rights or anything for your um, Amer American citizenship and American passports. Yeah. So there's a lot of options and stuff out there. You know, you just got to figure out what is right for you um, and what your end goals are. You know, I, I always tell people, begin with the end in mind and just kind of work backwards from there. What is it that the life you want to create and then from there backpedal into figuring out how to create that life that you want. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you create the life that you want? Yeah. Um, okay, so then uh what what have been the struggles and joys of being an expat? The biggest struggle has been the language barrier. Mm. Um I don't so being an older gentleman, I don't know if the struggle is that I'm not applying myself. Um as much because I look at the younger generation, those that are in their twenties and they're learning Spanish like that. You know, they're picking it up and me, I'm over here struggling. But then at the same time, I wonder if that compassion is working against me because in the places where there's been no Spanish speaking, I mean, English speaking pe people, then it forces me to learn the language mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. in places where, you know, I can meet people, they speak English, and I can go half English, half Spanish, then, you know, I'm a little bit more lazy in my learning of the language. So I think mm -hmm. that that will be the biggest um drawback and then the other biggest drawback is really just finding what I love like every country is just so different to me 
the joy and the challenge of traveling is the joy is that I go and I get into these countries and I'm always excited. And then I realize that the learning curve for every country is just like every state. And the more time you spend there, the more time you realize that, um, or that I realize that I need a big country based off my personality and values and the bigger country based off of just tourism or, you know, what they know. When you get there, you'll know. And if it's not the right country, just pick another country. Like, just like you just pick another country, like you pick another state. And it's just as fine. Because sooner or later, you'll find the right country, the right environment that is for you. Just like you'll find the right state, the right community, the right location on a smaller scale. The same way that you'll find that, you'll find that if you're looking for a different country. You just got to give it time. Be patient with yourself because you're, that's the biggest thing that I've learned. With myself because I learned about all the different countries, all the different places, all the different things that are out there. And they are. They're so different. They're like some experiences are so unique that I've never experienced before and that I cannot even experience in America. But I have to be patient with us to just learn what is right for me. Mm-hmm. And like that's the thing that I was anybody. Be patient with yourself, you know. Rome wasn't built in a day. And <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta give yourself time to learn about yourself because with every new country that you go to you're learning just a little bit about yourself and you know, just go from there. Just like when I when I got here, I knew that I needed to be here for a little while. Yeah. And what that little while it is, then, you know, I'll let the universe decide, I'll let let myself decide when it's time to leave. But, you know, I knew that I needed to be here for a while. And it has been a great journey, just trusting the process, just trusting that, you know, whatever it is that I need to learn here, I'm going to learn. And then when it's time to go, I'm going to move on and I'm going to go somewhere else. So with that, I'm going to ask that, what's your definition of home? Uh, I would say home is where you feel the most comfortable, where you feel loved and mm. appreciated, where you can give back freely to the community, to the people around you, to the earth. Because I think that we were really created to be good stewards over the earth and to really have 
good relationships with the people around us. So anywhere that you feel the most comfortable where you can just be and be yourself, then I think that that's where home is. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, and it, it, like we were talking about earlier in the conversation, and how I expressed to my son, I was like, "You came through me, but you're not from me." Meaning that, yes, you came through me, but there's so much more about you when you just coming through me, and. I think the quicker we can realize that even about our own selves, that, you know, we come through our family. Our family is just an extension of a process for us to learn. Mm -hmm. But we're not from our family. We're our own individuals on this journey on earth to just find ourselves and be the best version of ourselves we can be. And when we realize that, then it opens us up to to be more like a river. I use this analogy a lot. To be more like a river versus a dam. Meaning that a dam just holds up and stores things in. Mm -hmm. Doesn't let go anything. And I watched a video of a dam being released. And I saw all the sludge, all the settlement that was just there. I just holding things in. And I just began to wonder in my mind how much stuff we hold in within ourselves because of family, because of social construct because uh, we don't believe in the dreams that are within us. Mm -hmm. And versus being more like the river, which just flows. It flows. If a rock comes up, the water just moves around it. If something comes up and it's trapped, it just keeps going. Whether it goes over, under, around, it just goes. But the river keeps flowing and it's clean water because it flows. So you can come and drink from the river and not worry. But if you drink from the dam, then you have to worry about all the bacteria, all the stuff that is kind of built up around it. Because mm-hmm. the dam is a lot more detrimental to us versus the river. It's clean. The only reason it's clean is because it lets go doesn't hold on. This last call. And I think that that's the greatest lesson that this has taught them. You know, living abroad, living outside of America is that to learn that I don't I don't have to hold on to anything. Like, no, it's okay to just be who you are. And that the love and the God self of you just shine forth because in that there's the life. There's life for you and not only life for you, but life for the people around you. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and it's different. 
it's definitely different from the way that I was taught. It's definitely different from the way I grew up. But I'm finding out that it works. It works. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful to be on this journey on something that works, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow. Well, this has definitely been, like I said before, a wonderful, wonderful interview. So with that, I want to say goodbye to all of our listeners. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Are We Home Yet podcast, a podcast where I talk to expats around the world and ask them, what's it like living abroad, the struggles, the joys, and, you know, hopefully future expats are being inspired to move abroad and maybe live their best lives as well. So I hope everyone has a great day as well as you too, Kenrick. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. You too. So tune into my next episode with Aliyah. Aliyah is a social media travel influencer. Sounds interesting? Well, it definitely is. So Aliyah's job allows her to travel anywhere, live anywhere. So she's been living in Mexico and she has so many great suggestions for creating a business online, creating products that are going to bring an income without you having to work on them every single day, all the opportunities that her job has afforded her and the future of where she sees herself and her boyfriend. So tune in. I'm really excited about this interview because, you know, if you're interested in creating an online presence for yourself, an online business, this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe and to stay updated, head over to arewehomeyetpodcast.com. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.